Welcome to ACE Audio, the podcast that supports, educates, informs, and motivates manual therapists around the world. Welcome everyone to another episode. I'm Bodine Ledden. I'm joined by Sean Brewster, and today we're talking all things business, all about playing the long game. Um, Sean, you've been in business for a long period of time, and I know that um, I've sort of been under your wing, and I've learned so much from you in in a fairly short space of time. Um, so you've got a lot of experience, and hopefully today we can share a few of your insights around what you've learned over the years and some mistakes that you've made, and uh, hopefully other people can can learn from that. Sounds good. So what we might start with today is asking what the long game means to you when it comes to business. Yeah, this is um, something you've heard me harp on about since day dot, right? Since as long as we've been working together, I've always talked about the long game. Um, and probably more recently, I, I heard it summed up really well by um, someone, a lot of people will have heard of this name, Simon Sinek. And he talks about something called infinite games versus finite games. And I thought that was a really nice way of scribing what I'm talking about when I say the long game, which is, I'll use Simon's example. So a finite game is where you have a set number of players, a set amount of time and a set rules and everyone sticks to the rules and you play the game and it ends. And that's one way to look at business. And you might start a business and think, well, I'm going to run this for a number of years and I'm going to sell it. And that's the end of the game. And that will dictate the sort of decisions and actions that you'll take along the way because there's a start and there's an end and you know that you're going to get out of it at a certain point. Uh, An infinite game is where there's any number of players, any number of time. um, There's actually no defined end point for the game. Um, As many people can come in to the game and leave the game at any time as you like and and there's no sort of set rules. And you just want to play the game with the intention of playing it, not the intention of winning it or getting ahead. It's just about being in the game for as long as you can, surviving as long as you can. And if you're in business for the long game, and if you're in business for for the very fact of you just trying to build that business rather than build it to the point where you can sell it or get out of it, you will again make different decisions. The decisions you'll make will be based on trying to build something that matters, something that's uh, more robust, something that will last, and then trying to play in a way that other people will want to play with you. You can be a greedy player, you can be a a selfish player, or you can be a kind of player that um, people want to play with. And I think that's really about playing the long game in business is being in business in a way that actually people want to do business with you. Yeah, it's interesting points. And I think a lot of people that might get into business, it's sort of can be a bit of a, a rush decision for some people. They might graduate and then they're straight into their own business and they don't really know what to expect and some of the barriers and obstacles that they, they may come up against. So um, yeah, I, I'm sure it can be a real challenge for so many people, um, and I'm sure you've experienced that yourself and consulted with other people about those mistakes. Um, so what are some mistakes that people do tend to make in business that could easily be avoided? I think um, one of the common things that we we all do uh, early on is we'll start out, we'll get our qualification in whatever modality, whatever skill set you have. You'll go out and you'll be working for someone else, and then you'll think, You'll be watching them run their business and you'll be watching the, how the business works and you think, I can do this. I could run this business. I could, I could, like, I'm watching it all happen. I can see how it works. I could do this just as well as them, maybe better. And then off you go and you start your own clinic or your own practice and your own business, whatever it might be. And this is the path that so many of us take. And it's the right thing to do for some people. 
and it's absolutely the wrong thing to do for others. And what will often, the common mistake here is that people will assume that you can do it all, that you're going to be good at everything. Um, and they're like, when you come out as a practitioner, you're a technician. And this is the, uh, some of you might have heard of the book, uh, the E-Myth, that sums up really, really well. So the E-Myth is you have the technician, you have a manager, and you have the entrepreneur. And you sort of have to be all three things in a business. Um, the mistake we make is we try to, we, we assume that we can be all three things. You might be a brilliant therapist, but you could be absolutely terrible at managing people. You might be really good at managing people, but you're a terrible entrepreneur. So you can't do business development. You can't see opportunities. You can't put things in place, manage processes. You might be really good at that, but you're a terrible technician. You see what I mean? Like there's three roles. And I think that the mistake we often make is that we assume that we can do them all. And it's pretty rare that you'll find someone that can do that. I discovered very early on that I'm not a great manager. Like I'm, I'm a far better entrepreneur than I am manager and I'm a fairly good technician management's not my skill. So I've had to really work on that one. Um, and I think the, the people who do really well in business are the people who can figure out where their strengths are early and then hire accordingly or surround themselves with the right people. And so, um, yeah, a mistake I made early on was just thinking I could do it all well and you'll do most things average if you if you look at it like that. So um, that, was, that was one thing. And the other thing was probably... Um, Assuming that because you're good at something and, and, you know, we're all, we're all got specialist, specialist skill sets and different things where uh, special interests and focus on certain things and think, well, I'm really good at this. And that should be enough to attract people because I've got these skills and this knowledge. People should come and see me for this because I'm good at it. It's not enough. Like you could be the best in the world at something. If nobody knows you exist, you essentially don't exist. And so being uh, unafraid to put yourself out there yourself in front of people pitch yourself you're not you know you don't have to talk yourself up but, but don't be afraid to tell people you know here's what i am here's what i do here's what i'm good at um and i think i can help you and give them a chance to try you out rather than uh, just assuming that because you're good you know just because you build it people will come that's not necessarily how business works yeah and there's there's a lot to to think about there isn't there when you think about a business and like you said it was great to break it down into those different sections because um yeah we don't have to be the best at everything and and like you said you know we probably uh, the best business owner would be someone who delegates really well um and and I think the real importance of creating a good team environment so people actually want to be there they want to give 110% all of the time and I think that's so often overlooked um, in businesses is really, um, I guess, creating a nurturing environment and, and giving as much as you can to your staff. And, you know, I've certainly learned a lot of that from you. And, um, you know, you give a lot of autonomy to your staff. And I think that um, really pays its dividends as well. One of my um, early employers taught me the autonomy thing. He, he put so much faith and trust in me that I almost felt like I was abusing it sometimes. Like I I, I just felt like he should have been looking over my shoulder. He should have been checking in on me. And the very fact that he uh, he trusted me so much made me want to step up. And I think that's a it's it's a really good thing for employers or managers or leaders to do is to give your give the people that you've employed the autonomy to make decisions. Like you've hired them because they have what you need. So let them do that thing. Um, and then of course the downside or the potential downside to that is they might make a mistake. They might get something wrong. They might abuse that trust. Um, and that's the risk that you have to take. But the alternative is you don't give them that autonomy. You don't give them that trust. You don't give them that faith. And then they feel like they're being ridden 
They feel like they're being having their shoulder looked over the whole time and they won't perform at their best as a result. So no matter which approach you take, there's always the potential for a negative or a downside. Um, but I think the uh, giving faith, giving trust and and um, and uh, giving people space to excel is always going to be the better option. Definitely. And you even think about that from a neuroscientific point of view where, you know, if you're going into a work environment stressed, someone's looking over your shoulder, there's pressure on you to perform, well, that will impact your cognitive abilities and, and your overall performance and, you know, in disengagement with work. Whereas if you want someone to thrive and, and, and do the best that they possibly can and you give them that freedom, that encouragement and, and that motivation and all of these positive things that, um, can can make someone be happier in a work environment. They'll be more loyal and they'll want to stay for longer. Um, you see this all the time as, you know, people can't hold on to staff. Well, what are you doing for that staff member that makes them want to stay and not just money? Um, you know, and I've worked at numerous different places and, um, you know, that the power of just uh, rewarding someone with, um saying thank you or really well done i noticed what you did in there you know that's uh, it activates the same reward mechanisms that we do with a pay rise and you know what which one's cheaper from a business perspective absolutely so, yeah. um, simply you know putting putting that that focus and emphasis on your staff um you know that will be playing the long game in how things could could grow overall for for a business so i think yeah. that's really important 100%. You, you and I both know both this. Um, one of the most common things that we hear from business clinic owners, large clinics, uh, is that we can't get enough staff and then we can't keep the staff. They move on. And we hear this everywhere, every city, every state we travel to. It's the same story over and over. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Is, um, what are you doing for them? There's always, the grass is always going to be greener on the other side of the fence. So they're looking over the fence to see who's got a better option, a better offer. Uh, and there's always something better. Always, something always looks better. So you have to make your side of the fence so attractive that they don't want to jump it. And that is make them feel good, make them feel valued, give them opportunity for growth, pay them well, pay them what they're worth, but give them opportunity for growth is such an important thing. Um, if you're not growing, you die, right? There's, there's, not, there's nothing in between. And so if you turn up to work every day as a practitioner, as a therapist, and you're treating patients, there's no ongoing development, there's no ongoing recognition from the from the employer or your manager, and there's no team uh, effort, uh, then pretty soon you'd be looking for something more. And that's just natural attrition. That's just what's going to happen. So um, I don't think there's any, any um, hard and fast fix to stop people moving on, but there's definitely some really simple but very... Um, difficult to do as in simple to employ difficult to to apply um uh, tactics and strategies that we can use that will want people to stay longer make them want to stay longer um, and those things are definitely investing in them not your business you've got to do that as well but build your people because they're your, the most valuable asset for sure yeah 100 i love that um so what are or we often do things at ace that uh seem counterintuitive financially and and why is that why do you um why do you come up with these ideas that most people yeah. would tend to do yeah you you remember some of the early days of ace um Bo, when we working together and some of the ideas we come up with and people would look go why <laughs> how do you justify that i had a good friend of mine asked me a little while ago how do you justify yeah. xyz the thing that we were doing the business when it makes no financial sense to do it 
as an example, like we we uh, we allow people to repeat our courses for free, right? Nobody else, as far as I'm aware, I can come across anyone that does that, and you can repeat it as many times as you like. So I think you know, fairly expensive John England course, for example, someone could come back and do that every month for the rest of their life if they chose to. They wouldn't, but you know, a lot of people repeat it. So that's thousands and thousands of dollars out of our pocket that we we don't get because of that. Because of that, some people, a small percentage of people might look at our course and go, oh, that gives me a little bit of certainty. Even if this course isn't as good as they say it is or it's not what I'm expecting, I can do it again and maybe get that information that I didn't get the first time. Or uh, maybe my skill set, my knowledge is not up to scratch and when I do this course, I won't be able to absorb it all. Uh, I'd like to be able to do it again to, to brush up those skills. And so that gives them, again, a little bit more confidence uh, and knowledge that, you know, we're there to support them. And the underlying message from us to them, without even having to say it, is that we actually care about you learning this stuff. It's not about creating more revenue. It's we actually want you to learn the information. And so those non-viable financial decisions, the things that your accountant would look at and go, why are you doing that? Those are, I think, the most valuable things because they they have a, um, a subtle and unwritten message that kind of comes with them. Like, why? Like, if someone has to question why you're giving that much value, then that is the best thing to do. And I always said to people, if you can figure out the things, if you can figure out how to do the things in your business that your competitors can't afford to do, and then do them at scale, do them on a large scale, you'll win. When people walk in and go, oh, really? You get that with that and that and that and that for that price? How do you do that? If they're confused, you've got them. That's the thing. So we do that one. Look, we cater courses. People don't provide food on courses. These simple little things. Um, we give heaps of free content after the fact. Like, you, you know, you don't have to sign up for a subscription. We just give you the content afterwards. We put out heaps of free stuff online that other people would charge for. This is all the long game. It's all about building trust and rapport. Um, trust has to be earned. And so I think the more we can give up front, the more generous we can be, um, the more we win that long game. Yeah. And I've I've learned all of this from you and I've had meetings with people and they're like, oh, you know, if we've been recording videos and then they say, oh, well, then you could start charging for it or a subscription. We're like, no, that's not what we want to do. We want to give this as as completely free content with no strings attached. Um, and people are, oh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's nice, but why would you do why? that? Why? <laughs> <laughs> completely confused, yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's a huge value add. So what are some things that you might be able to suggest that, you know, people that don't run courses, they might own a clinic or, um, you know, work for someone else. What what are some value adds that they could provide to, to improve their business? Yeah, right. Like, there's, there's so many little things that you can do that sound silly almost, but make such a difference. And think back to the early days of Uber, right? We don't see this as much anymore, but when you remember, you, you get in an Uber and they'd hand you a bottle of water and offer you a mint. That's like you just don't, you'd see that one in a hundred rides now, right? Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. And so if you could do something like that, something that's unexpected, when a patient comes to see now, a bottle of water is probably not going to make a huge impact because a lot of places will have water available. If you could do something like, have a bowl of fresh fruit and some muffins or some kind of treat that people might like just on the bench when they come in and they're like, oh, you know what? It's the afternoon. I'm a bit peckish. Oh, I'm going to my appointment. They're going to have a snack there. Like if you can have people come in and expect something like that or even be surprised by it, something that costs you very little but has such an impact on the big because it's something they don't expect, that's massive. Another thing you can do is when you 
uh, collect patient information, so dates of birth, uh, where they live, all that kind of thing. If you can surprise them with something that's maybe a little crazy on their birthday, this is this is a really good long game plan. I saw another uh, business person I follow um, do this quite well, where he tracked somebody's um, details and just at random um, sent them, Googled them and looked up who their favourite um, sporting team is and who their favourite sports star through their you know, social media. And then he sent them a jersey, of, a signed jersey of that person's, like a jersey from their sporting team to this person. So it's costing hundreds of dollars, right? And the guy got this uh, and would obviously have been blown away. He didn't say anything about it. Months and months went by. And then another person came and bought from this guy and he said, oh, by the way, I really love this sports star. Right. And so that other guy had told him the story and it had just been passed on and passed on. And so you might do something that's completely out of the box and it might be an expensive thing that blows somebody's socks off. But if you can do it unexpectedly for no reason, that has way more value. Or it might be a small thing like a little bit of a gift, a phone call on their birthday and say, hey, I haven't heard you, seen you for a while, but just wanted to say happy birthday. Hope you're tracking well. Don't ask anything from them though. Give, 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 give. But don't ask. All the giving builds up this rapport, builds up this trust. You won't have to ask. That's the trick. Yeah, and I think even those small things, that's right, like the value in in just giving your patient a call a few days after a session, you know, that's that's a lot. It's sort of like, wow, they really care. And that emotional uh, connection, they, they really care about my progress to see how I'm, how I'm going. You know, that's free. They didn't, I didn't have to pay for that. You might give them, you know, some little bit of tips or advice if they're not on track, whatever it may be. Um, you know, it could be that you, when you, uh, when your patient leaves, you record them a, a video on, on another exercise, if one's not working for them and send that through to them. Um, you know, we like to do stuff like that. If someone's struggling with anything, we might say, hey, I'll record a video for you on that technique if you didn't quite get it or send them a link to a, a video that's already been made or whatever that may be. And, and those are little things. But yeah, you know, in the scheme of things over time, then you're more likely to get referrals. And again, that's that long game where it's a slow thing. You, you might not see uh, the, the immediate increase in income, but over time, your reputation increases, your trust uh, increases, and then, you know, that will start to, to show in the figures in, in the long term. Definitely. And that's that's what I'm talking about with finite infinite games too. Like the, the finite game version of what you're just saying there is you call up the patient a few days later and say, how are you going? Oh, I hope you're doing well. By the way, if you'd like to book in again, I've got a spot on Friday. That's a finite decision. You, you, you showed them your interest or your care in them, and then you ask for something. You ask for an appointment. It's fine. Wrong decision in my mind. I'd suggest longer, longer and infinite game, which is you phone them up and you say, how are you going? Just wanted to check in, see how you're feeling. All good. No problems. Have a great day. See you later. Hang up the phone. They thank you. Mentally, they thank you for that level of care and they will appreciate that level of service and then they'll tell a friend. And their friend will come and see you and that friend will tell someone else. The original person will also tell three other people and that multiplies out really, really quickly. And so that one person turns into 100 a hundred paying customers without you asking for a single one of them versus the first one, they might book in one or two more times and you get two versus a hundred. Yeah. Now that's not, that's not something you can bank on for sure, but if you do it at scale, if you do it enough times, the numbers play out. Yeah, definitely. 
And Sean, I know that um, you've always had quite a, a can-do attitude, uh, business-related. You've always been an easy person to approach and, and um, give ideas to. And I remember I came to you with an idea once that I took to a the other business that I was working for and it was shut down immediately won't work and so I told you and you said yep 100% let's do it all for it um, backed it completely and, and it, it paid off you know it's it, it, was, it was a great experience um, so I guess you know you've you've had multiple businesses over the years and um, you know they've um, all progressed and evolved and Ace is doing really well it's I guess we've how long four years five years now we've been around. Um, so tell me a little bit more about your vision um, for ACE from the start and does it look different now to what you initially um, envisioned? Yeah, good, good question. Um, this is actually the fourth iteration of this business for me, um, which not everyone's aware of. I've, I ran a business like this a very long time ago with a different business partner, with a, with a business partner. Um, and then we kind of faded out into different things over time. And then I was running a business like that by myself. Uh, and then I had another business partner and that dissolved. And then now we've got Ace, so which is um, myself. And then you work with me and we have a number of other people. So there's kind of been four versions of the same thing. So I've had a really long time to figure out how to do it in a way that makes me feel like we're doing something good. Um, about 20 years worth. I worked out uh, the other day, it's about 20 years worth of this kind of business, this PD stuff, in addition to working in colleges and stuff. And so um, when, once I figured out exactly what I wanted to build, which was probably 10 years ago, um, I realised that what, what I wanted to do is build like a, an educational ecosystem. Um, is the best way I could think to describe it. And an ecosystem is a self-sustaining environment. All the things that come in there have everything they need to th survive and thrive. Um, and so I wanted to build not just workshops, but I wanted to have online material. I wanted to have free content. I wanted to have face-to-face -face stuff. I wanted to have um, uh, tangible products. I wanted to have uh, educational stuff that you can consume on a number of different platforms, all these different things. And for someone to come in and be able to stay with us for a period of time, learn lots of things, obviously go and learn from other people outside as well. There's definitely value in that, not against that at all have enough that somebody can learn with us, work with us for a longer period of time so that we can watch them and, and, and be part of their growth. Um, and so that's been the goal from not the start, but pretty early on, definitely the start of ACE. And then versus where we are now, I think, um, feel like we're getting there. I feel like we're actually doing that now. And, you, you know, we were talking about this the other day, like it's a wheel with spokes, right? And so if what we're trying to build is the centre of that thing, then every spoke has a different kind of offerings part of that ecosystem. Um, and there's an infinite number of those spokes and we keep adding more and more and more, which is absolutely terrifying and exciting at the same time because there's only so many balls we can juggle at once. Um, but without that kind of excitement, without that kind of fear, um, probably wouldn't be as interested. You know, you've, got to, you've got to be living on the edge to a degree, I think, to sort of really enjoy your work. Um, if it's too easy or not uh, challenging enough, I know you especially, right? You, you fall off the off the wagon if it's not if there's no challenge. And I'm exactly the same. I feel like we're going to be pushing. And so, where it was to where it is, um, I feel like yeah, we're probably tracking quite well. Um, there's still miles to go though. Still a lot to be done. Yeah, well, that's it. And the old saying: if the only thing that you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Um, you know, if you've only got one thing that you, you, you specialize or deliver, then, you know, 
that's all all that you're going to be good at. And you know, oh. as you said, we create this ecosystem where we develop trust in our community. And a lot of that, a lot of that trust is from giving extra, you know, not yeah. asking for anything in return, like you said before. Um, yeah. So when someone does attend a course, they'll often come back and do other courses or webinars or conferences, retreats. You know, we've got these podcasts and free content on, on social media. So we've got a, a lot of different avenues and, and not all of them are, um, require payment. So I think that's, that's really valuable valuable and um yeah again just sort of developing that community and we see this as well when um, people ask for recommendations you start to develop a following because people have put their their trust in us uh, and i think that's that's the where the real value is isn't it and um it's taken some time certainly to 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 build that like we don't have uh, thousands and thousands of followers um but the ones that we do have are awesome so yeah they sure are yeah <laughs> Yeah, and trust is so important. Like it takes so long to build trust, but you can lose it in an instant. And um, one of the things that I really try to work hard at is uh, making sure that we, no matter what the experience a person has, even if it, they have, they come up against a bit of a hurdle or there's some kind of barrier for them, we try to find a way to make them feel like they're cared for and listened to and, and that they matter. Um, and that the rapport we built with people is sustained over time so that that ecosystem when they come in they can spend some time with us. one of the most re rewarding things for me is to watch somebody develop over time you know it's not about getting more revenue from them income from them it's not it's not because we have so much free stuff anyway i don't care if they don't pay for, pay for things as long as they're with us over a period of time we get to see them grow it's incredibly rewarding for me and i know it is for you too and so when we see someone come in early in their career or early in their development whatever it is and they might spend years with us in different facets and as they come out the other side, then they're a leader, then they're building their business, then they're treating people and getting results. And that's uh, that's the point of a long game for me. Yeah, yeah definitely. And it's nothing better than, than seeing them grow and develop. And then you might listen in on something that you said and you're like, you've got it. You yeah. got it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It is great. Um, okay, so yeah, we sort of spoke about that this has <clears throat> has taken a while, and you've you've gone through multiple different um, business models to get to to what what we are today. Um, so, what were your expectations for growth of the business, and how long did you expect it to take to start to see results? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I because I've run this type of business for so many years and so many different iterations and I've had other businesses as well. I've been a running coach. I've been a martial arts instructor. I've been a, obviously, clinical practice. I've been a, a university lecturer, all these different things. Um, I've realised very early on that everything takes longer than you expect it to. Um, so I try not to put too much of an expectation on things. Um, there's a saying, you know, people overestimate what they can achieve in a week but underestimate what they can achieve in a year. So if you go, right, I'm going to do as much as I can this week, and at the end of the week you're frustrated, don't be frustrated. You've got 51 more weeks. yeah. And then the, beyond that, you've probably got 40 years' worth of work in you, depending on your age, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I look at that long game. I keep reminding myself, no, this is just year number X. You know, I've got all these other ones to go. So I find it really hard to answer the question, what did I, how long did I expect it to grow, to, you know, to get to this point and where we want to be? Um, I feel like it's just a gradual trajectory upwards. There's been definitely, there's been um, plateaus, there's been flat spots. Um, and those flat spots, the flat spots are usually a reflection of my motivation or my, uh, the level of effort that I'm putting in. 
um, into the business and to the people around me. And while my motivation is always pretty good, there's definitely distractions at times. And so uh, I keep, I have a little saying in my head, which is relentless forward motion. You know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing as long as I'm moving forward. Sometimes it'll be slower than others, but it has to be relentless as in never ending and it always have to be forward. So, um, you know, there'll be times when that's, that slope will go up steeper. Other times it'll level off a little bit, but we're always heading that direction. So no particular time in mind, no particular speed of growth. It's just forward. Yeah. And uh, the, the saying that stuck with me throughout the, um, when I was developing the hip course, it was a, it was a long project. And you told me that, how do you, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And I That's kept right. that, like, All right, bit by bit, I'm going to get there. Um, because I, I think, you know, I see a lot of people that uh, might graduate and go out into business and they expect their books to be full within six months, 12 months. Um, and and it, it doesn't happen and because it, and they might get quite frustrated and and um, overwhelmed with all of these things and they didn't realize how much was involved and then the stresses that are involved with, with that from a financial point of view. So um, what are some things that, that they could do in that instance, you know, that they may not be focusing on, um, you know, if, if you're expecting something to happen really quickly, um, you know, what are some things that 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 might put that into a little bit more perspective for them. Yeah, right. Well, there's always someone who will be uh, will come out and start their own business and they'll look at their friend or their colleague or someone they know down the road, <clears throat> excuse me, and they'll see them who are, that person opened six months ago and they're booked out and they're booked out really quickly and they'll assume that that's what will happen for them, like you're saying. But what they didn't see is what that person was doing in the lead up to that. When they were a student, they were volunteering at the local sporting clubs they were building their social media profile. They were networking. They were spending time volunteering in a clinic, doing observation hours. They were building this referral net. They were doing all those things. Maybe they weren't doing all of those things, but I guarantee they were doing some of those things. Or they had really good foot traffic because of where they were located and they got a few people in and they were brilliant at building rapport and building trust and building that ongoing kind of referral. Um, or they worked with someone else and who got a great referral network. And it just, you know, there's always an awe. And there's always something else for the person who's an overnight success that doesn't exist. They might have success, but there was this all, there's all this other stuff that happened before that day that made it look like an overnight success. And so if you've got into business expecting to get that and you don't get it, which is almost everybody, um, what else could you do? It's just your question, right? What, what else could I be doing to building this, to be building this thing? And so if your thing is right, I'm going to be really good at social media and it doesn't work, well, then maybe you're not as good at social media as you thought, or maybe that's not the thing for that particular business. Maybe you need to do something else. When I had um, my, this one trick that people can try, um, when I had my running coaching business, which we did exactly the same way that we did Ace, we did free stuff. My, my business partner, I did free stuff for two or three years. We just put out blogs. I did not miss a week for like three years. Put out a blog every week. Um, and we put out free stuff on social media. It was early days social media, so it was uh, exposure was a little bit better than it is now. Um, and I turned up to all the events. And the one thing I did is I went onto forums, Facebook forums, and other forums where people were asking questions about running injuries. And because I was a therapist, I would give free advice. I would give free tips. I'd film videos and put them on there. I'd offer free advice without asking for anything. And then over time, people would send people to me for advice. So I was giving, 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 asking for nothing because I didn't think I was going to build a 
business based on money. I thought this was going to be a hobby that I would just enjoy. So I was giving, 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 but not, not chasing money. And then after a while, people started coming to me asking for things and they started asking for coaching and that building something and something and something. So one thing you can do is if you're interested in a sport, uh, some kind of activity, and most people have an interest in anything, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, running. It doesn't have to be uh, football, cricket, soccer, anything like that. It can be, you might be interested in mountain biking. You might be interested in lawn bowls. I don't care what it is. There is a Facebook group for it. Go on there, see what's happening. Find people that need your what you've got. Give advice for free. Don't ask for anything. Use your business name, not your personal name. Let people know in your in your comments and say, oh, actually, I'm a physiotherapist, myotherapist, whatever it is that you do. Here's something you might like to try. And you just leave the room. You know, don't ask for anything in return. Do that a thousand times a week. Do that a hundred times a month, you know, whatever it is. And that's the stuff that you can do when you're laying in bed at night, when you're sitting on a train on the way to work, when you, you know, when you've got your downtime. It doesn't take away from your business, but you have to be willing to put in those hard yards outside of the business hours. Um, knocking on doors of other clinics and and going there and finding out about them. Don't walk in with a handful of business cards or flyers and say, hi, I just opened up down the street. I'd love you to send me your patients. Here's my business cards. That's that's asking. Remember, give, 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 don't ask. So go in there and say, I'd love to find out more about what you do. I'd love to find out why people come and see you. I'd love to be able to refer people to you. Tell me more about you. People love people who are interested in them. It sounds really selfish, right? But we all love somebody who wants to get to know us. And so if you can be really interested in other people, they will be interested in you. And then that will be your referral network. You don't have to chase it. There's a couple of tips that people can try. There's a thousand other things, of course, but it's always the it's the small things that you do a thousand times that make the biggest difference, not the big things that you do once. Yeah, that's some, yeah, that's some great tips there. And um, I know that what we've experienced with a lot of social media content and you sort of start scratching your head thinking, oh, I'm not, we're not really generating much off this, are we? You know, we're putting out all of this high value content and we might not have a um, whole lot of engagement with it. But then, you know, as you, you'll tell me or I'll, I'll talk to someone at a course, and they might say that, yeah, we've been following you for, for a long period of time now. So I just, I thought I'd come and do a course. So we might not see that initially, but yeah, someone might follow what you're putting out and and that's a way to develop trust. And like you said, you know, going and um, volunteering, like people tend to always ask for, for money when they're going to a sporting event or what's the, the pay rate. Look, the value in going up and giving up, uh, giving up your time is massive. I've done this for, for years and years working with different sporting organizations. And um, there's always someone there that's, you know, down the track or, oh, I know, I know a therapist um, in that area, go and see him. So I still get referrals over here from people from, from the East Coast, um, you know, because the, there's the, the value in that that pays off over time. Um, you might not see that immediate reward straight away, but it, it is very valuable. So um, yeah. Yeah, some great tips. Work for free for as long as you can afford to. Yeah. yeah. And then at a certain point, you'll have enough income. You'll be generating enough income that you can work for free strategically. You'll see some really high value opportunities where you would normally get paid for that. But if you can turn up and do it for free, even better, you know, because They'll be looking at you like the, we were talking before about those non-viable financial decisions that we make. It's someone that's the expert, the, the man, the woman, whatever, known for that thing, and they turn up and give a free presentation. They turn up and volunteer their time or their skills for free. Everyone's looking at them going, why? 
that, that generates interest. And so work for free for as long as you can. And then when you can afford to work for free, do it strategically, do it at, do it at the times where it matters the most. Yeah, and we, we used to do a very similar thing, like <clears throat> go and give presentations to groups of personal trainers because where do people go and spend their time and potentially end up sore or injured? And, you know, at least now they've got a, a connection with someone. So you potentially just increased your referral base to, you know, another 10, um, 10 people that are working with other people, you know, and they yep. might see 20 or 30 people per week or even more. So, um, you know, that's that takes an hour of your time. Um, but the, the the benefits of that are, are significant. So, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so we've probably sort of touched on this a bit, but what are some easy things that people can do that have high reward? Okay. Um, well, the, the little tips and tricks that I just ran through before are some examples of those, but I think the, the biggest, the easy things to do are build trust, be generous, give, right? give, 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 give up front. Um, and those examples that we're just talking about are great ways to do that. but. Just keep those things in your mind. I think, like from this, from the very start, when if you are if you've just opened a clinic, and your first patient walks in the door, your job should not be to necessarily try to fix them the best you can that day, like do the best treatment. That is that's your number one goal. But your number two goal should also be blow them away with how much you're willing to do for them, like provide more value than they expect. And if you're a a nineteen, a twenty, a twenty one year old therapist, you've got to work even harder to impress that practitioner because they don't look at you as someone with a with years of experience and knowledge. They look at you as a fresh-faced little, you know, straight out of school kind of person. You've got to step up even more to develop that trust and rapport with the person. So, um, yeah, I think that that's give up front, give up front without expectation uh, as much as you possibly can. And the great news is if you're early in your journey and you don't have a busy clinic, you've got time. You've got time. You've got blank spots in your calendar that, that aren't designed to be spent sitting there watching episodes of Netflix. It's designed to be going, okay, I just saw a patient who had this, this problem, that problem. What else could I do for them in the meantime? They're booked in next week. I'm going to wow them with, with my knowledge. I'm going to research all these things. I'm going to send them some video links like you suggested. I'm going to prepare some resources for them when they come in. I'm going to set up a referral for them. I'm going to go out and do whatever I can possibly do um, to really blow them away. So the dead time that you have in your calendar is probably the most valuable time because it's what it's where you can build and do and create and make things for your patient that they wouldn't otherwise get. Yep. And in that dead time, don't uh, look in the right places as well. Don't go asking um, uh, how to treat conditions on social media groups. Um, don't look for your information on, on Facebook and Instagram. Go to a reliable source, go to a PubMed and start looking at some research papers, start to, to work through, you know, you could do a, a typical search on, on tendinopathy and you'll get thousands of results that show up. This will give you high quality information rather than asking someone else who also learnt their information from a second-hand or third-hand source. Um, so get high-quality information. That will impress your patients. But, yeah, over time, you, if you read a, a paper a day or a chapter of a book a, a week, whatever that may be, over 10 years, over 15 years, over 20 years, you've got a lot of knowledge there. Um, so, yeah, put that that time to really good use Um or if you do need to ask someone, 
are someone um, that that is in the know, that is the expert in that area. So yeah, uh, and that's the difference, isn't it? What I'm talking about before, where I said we should go on social media and give our advice. Yeah, that's not where we should go to get it, right? Because as the practitioner, you're the expert. You need to be the source of the information. And so where you see somebody on social media, and that's essentially a community group, which is like being in the real world, but it's virtual. It's like walking into a pub and somebody's complaining about their sore back and you go, well, here's some advice. You're doing the same thing. But if you're a practitioner who needs to be more knowledgeable than the general public, which we do, we need to have more information, specialist information. You've got to go somewhere where that information lives. And a Facebook group is typically not it. Now you might think, all right, I'm a part of a practitioner group. How many times, Bo, have you seen this when someone says, I've got a patient with XYZ problem, this pathology. How should I manage that? Like you said before. And then we'll read through the answers. And there's a thousand different answers. And 957 of them are completely absurd. <laughs> They're just like, where is that information coming from? You're miles off track. Um, and then there's a handful of things in there that are probably valuable. But for the person who's asked the question, they won't necessarily know because they don't know which bit of information is true. So rather than get a thousand things, and hope that you pick the right answers, go somewhere where the information is more reliable and ask the question there. We've got to be selective about where we ask the questions, I think. Yeah, yeah. and look, I think that whole long game thing, once again, is, you know, to build your business, you've got to build yourself and build your knowledge and understanding um, to, to really be, be the expert in, in what you do and then surround yourself with people who are even better than you again. Um, you know, so you're, you're learning from, from other people. You don't really want to be the best person in your clinic um, because, you know, then, then there's a ceiling. Like, who, who are you going to learn from? And, um, you know, I'm lucky I've got people like you and other people that I, I, I look up to and get, get my information from um, people who are, who are better than me. So that um, drives me to be better. Uh, and I can leverage myself on other people's mistakes and and, and what they've learned, and um, you know that that improves your rate of learning. And here's the here's the trick for a leader though. Everything you said there both brilliant, but as the leader, you want to hire people who are smarter than you. And if they aren't smarter than you, help them become smarter than you. And that's what I've done with you, right? Like <laughs> you said, you're learning things from me. But there's so many areas now where you've passed me, and that's perfect. Like if I was threatened by that as a business owner or as a manager or as a leader. We, you and I could only go so far. And this is where I think people run into trouble is they see themselves at the top of the perch and then they might have some real guns working for them that build up and build up and build up to the point where they start to push that person off the perch. That person gets a little bit protective of that perch and pushes back and it's not going to work. That, the guns are going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else, right? Yeah. But if you can see the growth of your people, your team, as a benefit to you, as a benefit to the business and a benefit to the game you're playing, now you've got team of experts now you don't have one person who's good and other people are great like this is also one of those great other people are good you've got a team of great people and so i want you and everybody like you that's working with ace to be better than me as at as many things as possible because how much better would that be for our customers our clients our students the people who interact with us so much more valuable yeah 100 percent. from a clinic perspective like if you're sean's clinic and you know, you might have other people working for you, but everyone only wants to go and see Sean because he's the best Ooh. there. Um, that's not going to help you to fill the books. Whereas if, oh, look, if you've if you've generated that brand and you've taught me this, that anyone that goes, I don't care who I, who I see because everyone's good there, um, you know, rather than sort of building that brand around you, the practitioner, it's sort of more about the the, the brand as a whole, isn't it? The whole, whole yeah. thing. Yeah, and I think as a, 
the long game requires you to do both, like brand and reputation. Of, reputation are essentially the same thing. A, a business's brand is its reputation. It's what it's known for. And so as a practitioner, we need to have a reputation for ourselves, a brand. So Bodine, Ledin, the practitioner needs to have its own brand. So people will come to you for what you've got. Now, if you've got a clinic and you're operating with a number of other practitioners, you want the business to have its own brand as well. So I think that anyone interested in playing this long game needs to be developing two silos of brand. One where people know you as being amazing at what you do and your business that you're growing around you, it's amazing as well. That gives you the opportunity to step out of the business at some point if you choose to. Won't be for everybody, but if you choose to, you can separate yourself from the business and it is still a valuable thing. If your business is tied up in your name, if ACE was Brewster's clinical education, at a certain point, I'm going to be too old or or um, disabled or unable to speak. I'm going to wear my voice box out. Something's going to happen right? and I won't be able to do this anymore. And then the business has to stop. And we change the name, people won't know what it is. And so there has to be your own, I think, your own personal brand and your own business brand if you if you want to have any kind of longevity in this, uh, in this industry or any industry for that matter. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Excellent. Well, go to the last one. Uh, what are some mistakes that you have made uh, that others could learn from? I think I sort of touched on these a couple a little bit early, actually, but assuming that people will think that you, uh, sorry, making the assumption yourself that because you're good at something, people will come to you. And I think that um, I had a fairly a good amount of success in the teaching space early on um, because I knew a lot of people in my area. It, it, you know, I was teaching in Melbourne and I started running courses and a lot of people came. It was great. And I thought, ah, let's do this in some other places. And so I tried to run one in Sydney. How many people came to my first Sydney course, Bo? That would be zero. <laughs> Nobody came, right? <laughs> it didn't happen. But okay, well, maybe not Sydney. Uh, I'll try to run one in Brisbane and I had a small handful of people. And then I tried to run in Perth and a small handful of people. And I thought, okay, well, my reputation in those areas is not enough. Melbourne was okay. I knew enough people there. So what do I have to do? Well, I have to build a reputation that's larger than my local community. And so um, that was for me in an education space. But the person in a clinic space, just because you, you're good at treating headaches doesn't mean everyone's going to come to you to get the headaches fixed. They have to know about you. They've got to know that you exist. Um, and so that requires more than just the skill set that you have that you're using in a clinical setting. So being able to and willing to um, step outside the mindset of the technician and go, what do I need to get the word out? Now, if you're not good at being a public face, being at the face of a business or speaking or writing or presenting yourself in a way that you can share your information, then you've got to find someone who is, partner with them, hire somebody, barter for that service offer them something in return it doesn't have to be money always it might be your time it might be your skill set you know you can offer in return um and that they can do that work for you and so an early mistake was yeah thinking that because i did well in one place i could do well in, in another and it just doesn't translate like that um yeah and i think that's probably the the, the earliest uh, that's probably the most useful mistake i've made for other people is just don't assume anything. Expect it to take longer than than you think it will, uh, and work twice as hard as you think you should have to. Oh, there's some great, great points there. Um, that's fantastic, and I, I'm sure so many people can get some valuable insights out of this. And 
um, you know, hopefully apply this to, to their, their current business. Um, so thank you so much, Sean. I think, um, uh, yeah, that was uh, such a great chat on um, all things business and playing the long game. I hope it's been useful. Excellent. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thank you.